The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, May 7th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Sean Ramos for him, sitting in for Mike Pesca. I'm the host of a pop culture internet-y podcast called Sideshow from Studio 360 and PRI. It's lovingly crafted out of WNYC here in New York. And when Mike asked me to host The Gist, I was thrilled. Mike's a singular force in podcasting, and The Gist is... Whoa, 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 Sean, Sean. Joel, managing producer of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, what's up? Sean, it's the gist, not the gist. Yeah, well, I get that that Mike says gist, but it's potato, potato, right? No, if you want the gig, you're just going to have to say gist. Jesus, fine, fine, okay. But listen, if I'm going to say gist, everyone has to stop saying gif. A short animated image on the internet is a gif, okay? Gif is a peanut butter. GIF is graphics interchange format. Hard gene graphics, hard gene GIF. Sure, the creators of the GIF say GIF, but but Al Gore invented the internet, and no one seems to acknowledge that either. So those guys invented this thing in 1987. They didn't know a generation would start to use them to communicate with each other, to react to important news and emails from friends. The GIF is ours now. It's ours to exchange, to celebrate, to pronounce correctly, and it's GIF. I talk about GIF sometimes on my podcast Sideshow, but that's all I'll say about them today on The Gist. Instead, I'll talk about push notifications in the spiel, and just before that, I will talk to God, no joke. He's been on Twitter for a while, and now he's on Broadway. And before that, this. My favorite thing about the internet, the theme to which I return on the regular on Sideshow, is that creative ideas, no matter how bonkers, no matter how inconsequential, will find a home. Millions of people want to see your supercut of movie titles being used in movies. Pop Gun. Dirty Harry. Back to the future. Groundhog Day. Beetle Juice. Thousands of people will watch your agonizing cover of Creep. And someone will always give you money to make your bonkers museum dreams a reality. Welcome to our museum. I'm Viviana. And I'm Matt. This is the Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan 1994 Museum. And as you can see, it's very real. Yes, the Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan 1994 Museum exists. I've been there. The creators, Matt and Viviana, funded it on Kickstarter. It's located in the hallway of our apartment, and it's filled with very real artifacts and very real donated art. Artifacts is just art with facts in it. All museums have art and artifacts. This is a museum. They set a goal of $75 to cover the cost of photo printing at Walgreens. 150 backers later, they had over 2000 bucks. But the best part was that they discovered a community of fans and artists who started sending them all this memorabilia and dioramas and cross-stitches and paintings of Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. This is the internet at its finest. Uh, I'm Viviana Olin. And I'm Matt Harkins. And we are curators of the Tanya Harding Nancy Kerrigan 1994 Museum that's located in our apartment hallway. And did you guys always know that you'd be museum curators? No, but people seem to like the museum when they visit. 
Matt and I uh, spent a lot of time inside this winter, and we watched a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those on Netflix was 30 for 30, The Price of Gold uh, by Nanette Burstein. And it kind of took us on this wild journey to museum curatorship. NBC's now breaking the story that Tanya Harding... Authorities are focusing their attention on Tanya Harding. Plot designed to steal Olympic gold. I mean, the rumors were just flying immediately. Wouldn't it be wild if Tanya had something to do with this there had never been in the history of sports anything like this yeah we had people over yesterday we had seven people these seven girls who uh, sent in a, a submission on the website and one was like are you the artist and i was like um my roommate and i watched a movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i'm an artist but it's hard because unlike most museums there's no lobby you walk in and you are boom you're right in, in the middle of this museum and yeah. here's 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 something we've been running into They'll kind of like the first person will kind of stop right when they get in, and then all their friends are behind them, and then nobody in the apartment building knows that it's a museum, hmm. uh, hopefully, and uh, and so then there's just a bunch of people standing in our hallway, in like the apartment hallway, the building hallway, yeah, and uh, it's calling a lot of attention. Your landlord maybe doesn't know that you have a museum in your apartment hallway. Listen, all he knows is that at a certain point a month ago we got packages every day, uh, <laughs> and several packages from eBay. How do people People find the apartment if they don't know, I mean, if you're not advertising where it is. Are well, you advertising where it is? We're not advertising. No, don't tell them. We're just like, basically, we, we start an Eventbrite um, and then send out uh, an invites for like a day when we're both there to give tours. Then we'll email them the street corner and just tell them to text us uh, when we're there and then we'll come down and meet them. Do people generally know what neighborhood it's in? I guess, like, is, has that been advertised? Oh, yeah. It's in Williamsburg. We said Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. And when, when folks find out that your Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan Museum is in Williamsburg, are they surprised or are they like the opposite of surprised? So much was positive, which was really cool. Yeah. But this one guy tweeted and I saw like he was just like some middle-aged guy who, like owned a wine store and he was like, he posted the article and he's like, this is why people hate Williamsburg. And it's like, yeah, it needs just more wine stores. <laughs> <laughs> when someone told me that this thing existed two weeks ago, I, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, yeah, it's really funny, but it's like a little too ironic. But then, you know, I watched your video and I was like, wait, there's like a lot of sincerity here. Mm-hmm. Parts of the museum are funny. Were you afraid to have fun with this sort of painful and tragic story? Well, I think our passion came from when we watched the documentary and that Tanya's story. It is like, it is sad. And and what's kind of upsetting is that, you know, like I say, we have all these like, this information about her after 94. Yeah. So when we were talking to people, you know, outside, you know, at work and different things, what we were really trying to talk about was like, do you remember she she landed a triple axle? She was the first American to do that? That's yeah. like, it, it's something that had never been done before. It was very difficult to do. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, she was really the best she could be. She still wasn't getting these kind of endorsement deals that she wanted. And we just kind of dove in with that story. And, and, we, and we made a super conscious decision because, yeah, we did not want to – I mean, these are people who are alive and who are living their lives and have been, like, haunted by this for so long and connected to it. The only thing we're making fun of is ourselves. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole <laughs> joke is, oh, these two people uh, don't leave the house and watch movies and, and they're, you know, they make this here, this museum in their hallway. And that's a stupid idea, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's so nice because, like, you know, we'll have a bad day at our day jobs and, like, you know, like, blah, 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 frustrated. And, like, and then we'll just meet some very cool people who are excited. And mm-hmm. it's, like, 
it fixes everything, you know? Mm. Um, we did meet four girls from Lilyhammer, which, of course, is where the 94 Olympics took place. Wow. We were having our opening gala, and they kind of wandered by. And apparently, Lilyhammer still is very in the Olympics. And so they came up, and we met them. They were so cool. And they came over later, and they said that um, they're going to talk to Norway about uh, flying us out there with it. They're going to talk to Norway? You know, the government. The guy? They said they're going to talk to the government of Norway. Yeah. And then they'll just work out. Did you believe them? Uh, yeah, we believe everybody. We did believe them, actually, 100%. <laughs> I came home and came and was like, we're going to Norway. <laughs> like, oh, Do you cool. think it's not going to happen? Are you saying it may I be definitely think it's going to happen. Why wouldn't these four people know how to talk to the government of Norway? <laughs> Norway's very small. Exactly. It's not like here. No, but Matt and I don't have passports, so we definitely oh. have to. Be... That's how much we do not leave. <laughs> <laughs> Viviana, you, are you team, team Nancy or team Tanya? Um, I definitely am more of a Tanya. And, and Matt, which way do you go? I'm definitely much more team Nancy. But I will say that there's like a lot of Tanya and Nancy in both of us. And I do think I have some Tanya inside of me. Matt and, definitely has some Tanya inside of me. And I think that him. everyone does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even Nancy has, uh, you know, a little bit of some Tanya qualities. This kind of relates to a tweet that you have hanging in this beautiful uh, calligraphy Yes, yeah, a tweet heard around style. the world. Yeah. It had a total of nine retweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tweet said... If you can't handle me at my Tanya, you don't deserve me at my Nancy. Thank you. Thank you very much. And scene. The Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan 1994 Museum is open for business by appointment only because Matt and Viviana are still trying to duck their landlord. You can find out more by reaching out to them online. They're on Twitter at Matt and Viviana, and the site is think1994.com. My first home is an apartment in Brooklyn, but if I had a second one, it would be public radio. I've worked at a bunch of member stations. My podcast is a spinoff of Studio 360. And for a long time, Mike Pesca was one of my favorite second home roommates to come home to on the radio. And I don't need to tell you why. But I would like to tell you about our first interaction because it's pure, unadulterated Pesca. I was trying to get a simple autographed headshot of him for a buddy's birthday. Buddy's a super fan. But that was too cliche for Pesca. That was too pedestrian. Instead, he delivered this ridiculous image of himself wolfing down a breakfast sandwich next to this cutout of Eli Manning he had next to his desk, and he signed it. After that, I'd do anything for Pesca. He's going out of town? Okay, let me feed his fish, take out his trash, but host his show? I gotta impress. So I booked God. David Jabberbaum has been tweeting as God since 2010. His account, The Tweet of God, is one of the most consistently hilarious things you'll find on Twitter, better than any number of super famous comedians. But Jabberbomb's no slouch. This, this god went to Harvard, of course. He wrote for The Lampoon, The Onion, The Letterman, The Stewart, The Colbert, and The Neil Patrick Harris. This god's got a Grammy, a pair of Peabody's, and a dozen or so Emmys. But most germane to today's conversation is that this god found a way to monetize his Twitter account and his nearly two million followers. He turned his divine musings into a book, a faux memoir, kind of like a new New Testament. And now he's turned it into a Broadway comedy starring Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. David Javerbaum's friends call him DJ, but I kind of want to call him God. God, it's great to finally meet you. 
Thank you very much. Uh, just to be clear, I, I don't want to have this conduct this interview under any false pretenses. I am I am not God. Yes. I am merely his secretary. I am merely the conduit through which the reluctant conduit through which he chooses to tweet. Uh, since since you are the closest conduit we have to God these days, I was wondering if we could like start with like a little lightning round uh, for like God's secretary. Okay, I can I can try to. Uh, channel what he would say. Perfect. Uh, fire or brimstone? My heart says fire. My head says brimstone. <laughs> New Testament or old? Uh, old Testament has better stories. New Testament is just a bunch of stuff about love and peace, and it gets very boring very quickly. Beatles or Elvis? Beatles. The Beatles were metaphorically bigger than Jesus. Elvis was literally bigger than Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scientology or yoga? Uh, yoga, I think. It, it's just, at least with yoga, you learn, you can apply things to your sex life. <laughs> uh, the Onion or ClickHole? Uh, the Onion, because I used to work for The Onion. Although <laughs> I love ClickHole, and I love both of them, and s since you brought it up, uh, The Onion is very dear to my heart. Uh, Yankees or Mets? God doesn't like baseball. <laughs> what is what is God like? Uh, he likes hockey. He likes cricket, and he likes that thing where you roll a big wheel of cheese down a hill and you have to <laughs> chase the cheese. Those are the three sports he likes. Islanders or Rangers? Then Devils. <laughs> I like that. Um, let's 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 do something easier. Why are we all here? This is a promotional interview, I believe, for my show, An Act of God. Totally. Um, you've studied musical theater at NYU, I think. and uh, Yes. You've had this Twitter account for a long time, which became a Broadway show. And I'm wondering, like, was this actually some really sly reverse engineering on your part to go Twitter book Broadway show when really it was maybe the Broadway show you wanted the whole time? Boy, you were giving me way too much credit. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky that it worked out this way and that I, I've found a way to do what many, many, many people have tried and failed to do, which is to monetize my Twitter account. Right. Um, so I'm very lucky that uh, I was able to uh, you know, attract a very good producer, attract a great director, obviously a big star who was amazing. Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons. And it's, it's all worked out very well. Um, but I can't say there was any plan to it. And I'm sure God would say the same thing. Yeah. Well, as a, as a comedy writer, was it really surprising to you when you started the Twitter account, at least, or even when you wrote the book, that no one had really done this the way you've now done it yes. before? Yes. It was very, very, very surprising to me. Exactly. I mean, like, some of these things are like really obvious. Like you, for example, tweeted out like a new Ten Commandments. I'm not the first person to do the new to do a new Ten. But Commandments. you did it really well. I mean, it was a super popular tweet, like thousands of retweets. Do you remember your Ten Commandments? What was fun about that, and what I think people responded to, is the fact that I was able to get Ten Commandments in 140 characters, including True. a title, the new Ten Commandments, <laughs> and proper spacing of one line between each one, and actually get 140 characters and still make sense. It was it was as much of a of a challenge of compression as it was of morality. The New Ten Commandments. Laugh, read, say please, floss, doubt, exercise, <laughs> learn, don't hate, cut the bullshit, chill. <laughs> I love chill the most, I think. Uh, I, I myself violate most of those on an hourly basis. <laughs>
how, how does writing for God compare to writing for, for John Stewart? Well, John Stewart is a wonderful collaborator and boss and human being. Um, God is neither of those things, none of those things. He's not a human being and he's not a particularly fun collaborator. Yeah. The entire premise of, of the play and the parts of the book that deal with this are if everything in the Old Testament is true and that's the kind of God we're dealing with, then if he were a person, what kind of person would he be? As someone who's like circulated around in, in comedy writing rooms like all over the country for, for a couple of decades, I imagine, um, is it surprising to you that I mean you're not you're not the only one obviously like Trey Parker Matt Stone that that a lot of comedy writers want to do Broadway stuff or is no. it, is that rare? No, I think I think not all but a lot of comedy people uh, have a have a soft spot for musical theater. Yeah. There's something really cool about people breaking into song. Uh, yeah. Having said that, <laughs> I should make it clear that an act of God is not a musical. It right. is it, it is a for the most part it is a straight play. Um, your God stuff is pretty on point scripture wise. Did you have to bone up on, on your new and old or were you already like, uh, well No, I, I boned up on it a little bit. Yeah. I always find that particular line of questioning ironic because for most of human history, that's all anybody would have possibly <laughs> known is the Bible. Right. But the now Old there's Testament so much porn on the and, internet. And you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you ask me about porn. I have encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I boned up on, on all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, if like any joke you make about uh, something that is a is a fact, if it's too obscure, no one's going to laugh. No one's right. going to find it funny because True. it's not based on anything that people would know. So you just have to balance. You have to balance that out. So tell me, like, what's what's a joke that you know you can make in a joke? Like, like Methuselah references. How do those go? There actually is a Methuselah reference in uh, passing. In, 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 uh, act of God. In, in, in an act of God. Good. Yeah, yeah, there is one of those. And what was a joke that you proposed that maybe people were like, eh, I don't know, that's like a little too religious-y? Uh, we, we've cut a couple of things. We haven't cut anything because it, we felt it was too uh, edgy. Yeah. But we simply cut stuff, and I've been happy to cut stuff because it just wasn't following the path of the show. It, yeah. was, just, it was just too much of a tangent. Um, I'm always fascinated by what happens a lot after his wife turned into a pillar of salt, uh, it's in the Bible. After he was turned, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah. Lot's daughters were concerned about preserving his lineage, so they both got him drunk and took turns having sex with him. <laughs> his daughters. That's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. The original or at least, porn. At least I'm not making it up any more than the Bible made it up. <laughs> uh, I wonder. You know what? There's what... also all kinds of uh, <laughs> things, rules in Leviticus about how women should be treated. Uh, and that are really just quite something. Uh, what was the impetus the day you went to Twitter.com and said, the tweet of God, sign me up? What, what was? What I was can tell you that there? the impetus was <clears throat> to promote my book. Now, the book was huh. uh, not even going right. to be out for more than a year. Uh, this was back in October 2010, and I just signed a publishing deal. I, I, I did well. I, I gathered new followers at a, what I guess was a pretty good rate. Yeah. God must get a shitload of notifications. Do you have them turned off on your phone or do you actually go through them? Uh, I, I read them. You do? I, I, I read a fair amount of them. Oh, my yeah. God. How many do you get on an average day? A day where you don't even send a tweet out? Hundreds. You know, I, I get hundreds wow. of notifications. Damn, yeah, that is work. Uh, it's only work if you choose to let yourself get sucked into it, which I have. <laughs> uh, or, or if you find yourself unable to stop, which I do. There seems to be, it's a very exciting and also 
perhaps like traumatic time for late night TV because a lot of everyone's favorite hosts, I mean, John and David Letterman are leaving and you worked for Letterman too, right? I did. Um, Do you see it as an exciting time because of that or are you kind of bummed out about the departures? I'm just on a personal level, I'm bummed out about John, but I know how hard he's worked and I know how eager he is to to move on to other things that he has every right and to correctly feel that he's done all he can do in this medium. Yeah. Um, I'm very glad that Steven's coming back. I can't wait to see what he does with his show yeah. uh, in the fall. Steven is, you know, everything you think he is and more, both yeah. as a performer and as a human being. Um, yeah, it's, you know, th- things change, but, you know, it's still just late night television. It's still just something, you know, you watch before you. You go to sleep. It's not the end of the world. Right. The end of the world that's coming, and that'll be the end of the world. <laughs> do you ever do you feel like with with the Twitter account, and I guess now even with the show, and and with with your new gig in late night TV, that you have enough outlets to to like dispense all your one liners and your 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 cracks at all these people? Yeah, I, I feel really I feel really happy that uh, for. Whatever reason, I, I at the moment I I do have a lot of uh, outlets and, and ways to express myself, and uh, and now I have one that may actually pay some money, <laughs> which which is good. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I I feel really lucky, and I don't I don't really have any. I've never had any kind of master plan for my career. Even saying the word career feels really strange to me. Yeah, it's Even saying the word writer feels really strange to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just kind of, I just kind of uh, just sort of, I guess, trust in the larger forces and trust in my own unconscious instincts um, that things will, things will happen. And, yeah. and so far it's worked out okay. Before we go, one more question. When you die, if, if, if there is a God, if there is a heaven and you get up there, this is like a James Lipton question. Yes, and 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 he he's you know you, you meet you meet the big bearded white man. Uh, what what are you gonna say to him? I'm gonna say, I get it. I know what's going on. Just open the trap door. <laughs> <laughs> An Act of God, written by my guest David Javerbaum, is directed by Joe Mantello and stars Jim Parsons. It's in previews now and officially opens on May 28th at Studio 54 in New York. And now the spiel. It took me forever to get a smartphone. I I didn't really want all of that everything at my fingertips because it was just too much. I'd only just recently learned how to sit down in the grass and look up at the sky and wander. But but in 2012, I was going to India for one of those Alanis Morissette-type discovery trips, and I wanted to have an email and a camera and a phone on one thing instead of, like, three. So I I caved. I got an iPhone. And, And, of course, then the apps came. I still, to this day, only have like two pages of apps, but that's e- that's even more than what I wanted. My brother told me I had to get Instagram for photos, and my mom was sending me funny snaps, and everyone was using Venmo because cash isn't cool anymore for some reason. But there was one app I really wanted the whole time, and that was the AP app. I remember we'd be sitting around in like 2009, 8, playing video games, and my buddy Colin would pull out his phone and be like, hey, I got breaking news, you know, someone just died, there's election results. Here's who won the World Series. And I was like, oh my God, the future. It's here. We have news at our fingertips. 
I got the smartphone. I got the AP app. And then like a few weeks later, AP sent me a news notification to tell me the AP had just won a Pulitzer. And I was like, cool, AP. And I deleted the AP app. I needed something better. I needed something that understood my sensitivity to, to breaking news and exactly what I was looking for. I needed the New York Times. So I downloaded the New York Times app a couple years ago, and it was, it's was it been pretty good. I mean, I'd say they're pulling like a solid B, B plus most of the time. But, but in the last few weeks, we've really lost our way. First, they spoiled a jinx for everyone and told us something that we didn't want to know yet. Then they swung back the other way and started telling us a bunch of stuff we already know, like Hillary's going to run for president and Huckabee's going to run for president and, 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 and that Hillary's going to take money from super PACs. We know that and it's depressing. Or that Hillary's ahead in the polls in May 2015. Who gives a fuck? And then yesterday was the coup de grace. I got one that said that an investigation had determined that the New England Patriots probably purposefully deflated their balls. Are you trolling me, gray lady? That is not news. News is things that are new. The push notification is a sacred thing. It takes us away from our families, our friends, our jobs, our food. Yes, New York Times, I want your push notification when Robin Williams dies. I want your push notification to tell me Baltimore is rioting. I want your push notification to tell me that we've got another president whose last name is Clinton or Bush, but I don't want to be bothered about bullshit. I know you're still learning, guys. We all are. I just wanted to push you in the right direction. And that's it for today's show. Slate producer Andrea Salenzi is more of a Tanya. She's also not here today. Managing producer Joel Meyer is definitely a Nancy, and he is here today. Executive producer Andy Bowers is god of all Slate podcasts, and I thank him for letting me play in his Edenic garden. I've had a great time. Mike's podcast is called The Gist, Not The Gist. My podcast is called Sideshow. You can and should subscribe. I'm on Twitter at Ramos Firm and at Sideshow. For Mike Pesca, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. I'm Gazelle Amami, and this week on the Vulture TV podcast, we talk about Last Man on Earth, the abysses of Mad Men, and the best TV pilots ever. You can subscribe to the Vulture TV podcast at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thank mm-hmm. you.